You're listening to the sermon series, The Songs of Jesus, at Sojourn J-Town. In this series, we'll see the power of singing the stories of Jesus. We'll see how these songs are rooted in the promises of God, speak to our deepest longings, and equip us to bring all we are to Him. All right, I encourage you to grab a Bible and go to Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and... Um, and if you don't have a Bible, that's all good. The passage is in the, in the bulletin as well as on the screen. So if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of God's Word. So we're in the, in the midst of a kind of a series that we do every year. We do kind of like an Advent series normally where we take a little break and spend about four weeks talking about this season called Advent. Advent just means coming, all right? Uh, it's not the Christian word for Christmas, right? It's just a, another way for us to prepare our hearts and our minds for what's coming. And so uh, if you remember last week, we kind of um, dealt with the theme of longing. So it's what we're trying to do over these next few weeks is just kind of bring some of the themes of Advent. And let's spend some time talking about them. So last week we talked about longing. And we're trying to weave some of the carols, all right, directly and indirectly uh, into these themes. So last week was O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, today we're going to look at an old hymn. Uh, we're, we're not necessarily looking at it in the passage. We'll look at it when we sing it here in a minute. That was written by Charles Wesley. Uh, old, uh, I think it's Long Expected Savior. And so uh, we want to we speak to this, this idea of waiting. So long, right, expected Jesus. Like there's, there's, there's waiting implied there. And so that's kind of what we're, we're exploring and looking at today. And, and I, I believe Paul... Um, will help us kind of explore this theme in verses 18 through 25. So hear the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits, and there's our word, with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly, and here's our word, waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this we hope, we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because we hope for what he sees, for, because who hopes for what he sees? Now if he, we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly, and here's our word again, wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Now you can be seated. So I think one phrase that you probably hear amongst kids right now, and uh, if you've not heard it, you will. And so it doesn't matter if you have kids in your home or if you just have nephews or grandkids or if you work in a school or whatever. But here's the phrase that you will hear over and over, and it's on the screen here, and maybe you can fill in the blank. I can't. Yeah, there you go. Say it a little louder. Come on. Give some gumption to it. I can't. Yeah, for Christmas. And you'll hear this over and over, and there's a part of me as an adult that feels the same way, but there are other reasons why I, I can't wait for Christmas. And I'm just kind of projecting here, but I'm making the assumption that most of us in this room don't really like to wait, 
Like it's not a, um, it's not something that you, you kind of want to do or you enjoy to do. Like whenever you're, you hear someone say, hey, can I, can I put you on hold? And I don't think there's like joyful things going on inside you going, oh, good, man, I get to wait, right? Whenever we see, you know, the brake lights on I-71 or Gene Snyder or wherever we're traveling, right? There's not joy that rolls up in us. Like none of us really like to wait. Waiting is something I would say we have sort of an aversion to. We don't want to wait. I've never met somebody, you know, and planning out their goals for the new year. I've never met somebody that says, hey, you know what? I really want to work on waiting this year. It's like, no, I want to find ways to avoid waiting is kind of what we want to do. And we make fun of that, but, but here's the problem with that. The problem with our aversion to waiting is that it um, has a way of making the Christian life really hard. Because the Christian life is more about waiting than it is fulfillment. You hear that? The Christian life or the experience of a Christian, say it a different way, feels more like waiting than it does fulfillment. I mean, we looked at last week that passage of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 where it says, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a prophecy, it's a promise that for unto you as a child will be born and will is the operative word. And how long did it take before that will <laughs> happened? What did he say last week? 800 years. Eight hundred years that's a lot of waiting as I was thinking about this passage as well as kind of this theme it reminded me uh, of a passage we looked at a few years ago in Luke chapter 1 I don't know if you guys remember this one but uh, it's a it's a passage where where Luke tells a story of John the Baptist's parents uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth and kind of tells about the miraculous birth of John the Baptist and and one of the reasons why it was a miraculous birth, it wasn't because it was like Mary's birth in the sense that she was a virgin, but, but Elizabeth was, you know, advanced in years, is the good terminology of what it says in the Bible, which basically means she was old, amen? That's, that's kind of like very nice language uh, to talk about age. So she was way beyond child-rearing or child-bearing age. And so, so their story is embedded in Luke chapter 1 and verses 6 to 7. I, I, I just found this. Um, something that still sticks with me even today. Listen to what it says here. Both were righteous, talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and God's side, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. And then verse 7, but, but they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. A few years ago, I said, most of our lives are lived in verses 6 and 7. We have these desires and these longings, and we're waiting for them to be fulfilled, and they seem like they're not going to happen. I would say that's one of the hardest places to be in life. Longing, wanting having unmet desires and trying 
to trust in what seems like an unresponsive God. That is really hard. Waiting is hard. Larry Crabb in his book, uh, Shattered Dreams, says this, if you live long enough, and it's not on the screen, I've, I've kind of changed some of my, my quotes here, so just bear with me. Hopefully you can hear it and not have to have it on the screen. If you live long enough and dreams that are important to you, they will shatter, and God may not glue together all the pieces of every Humpty Dumpty who takes a great fall in your life. Christian life feels a whole lot more like waiting. And waiting is really hard. So how do we do this, right? How do, how do we, um, not that I'm trying to get this right, because I don't think we'll get it right. Sometimes we get a little anal about getting things right. I got to get this right. I just want to say, like, how can we do this in a more healthy way? How can we do this well? And I think Paul uh, obviously, because we, I, I pointed out the number of times he talks about waiting here, I think Paul gives us just a couple thoughts in these few verses here about, like, how can we wait? So if the Christian life feels more like waiting, then how do I wait well, right? How do I wait in this season where I do have these, and sometimes these longings and desires are not sinful, they're not, they're not bad. Having a desire to have a child is not a so wrong, sinful desire. What Elizabeth and Zechariah wanted was good. But, but in that season when it seems like this is not going to happen and even got to a place where it feels like this isn't going to happen. Like this, this dream is shattered. It's done. Like I'm, I'm well advanced in age. Like how do we live there? I think Paul gives us a couple thoughts here and, and hopefully these will be helpful. The first one I think we see here is as we wait groaning in hope. And I know it sounds really weird, groaning, first of all. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so weird. What do you mean, Lau? Am I supposed to walk around here all the time? Like, how am I to, this, this groaning aspect, what does that even mean here? Well, groaning just carries the idea of protest, doesn't it? So if I'm groaning against something or if I'm sighing or or kind of like in a, in a healthy way, angry about it. I'm protesting against it. I don't like it. I don't want this. I, this is not as it should be. That's the idea of groaning. And over and over in this passage, he misses the idea of groaning. So obviously, it has to have something to do with waiting. So this is not a, a word I'm making up or telling us to do. This is kind of embedded in this passage of Scripture, this idea of groaning. I mean, just... Just quickly here, look at this. I mean, you see this with creation. You see this with us. And we didn't even read the other element of this. But he also talks about the Holy Spirit groaning. We're just going to look at just this idea of groaning with creation in us. Look what he says here in verse 19. For creation eagerly waits, there's our word again, with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. And this word just means it's not fulfilling what it was created to do. And so why? Why was the creation subjected to futility not willingly this is a result of Adam's sin not their sin it's not like creation is a person in and of itself it's not what Paul's meaning here he's personifying creation but he's not saying creation is a person and the reason why it's subjected to futility is the result of what Adam did Genesis 3 
is a pivotal and enormous chapter in all of the Bible. If we don't get Genesis 3, then nothing happens in this world makes sense. Like, it's just like, what's going on? Like, the reason why things are hard in this world is because of Genesis 3, the fall of man, the fall of humanity. And so when Adam sinned against God, there was like this sort of downgrading upon creation. Look what else it says here. But because of him, he subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we not to know that the whole creation, here's our word, has been what? Groaning together with labor, uh, labor pains until now. And so I know it's hard for us to kind of understand this, but, I, but, but what Paul is trying to help us see here is that creation is not as it should be, which is hard to fathom. So just think about that. The, the beautiful things that we experience, like, I don't know if anybody was up this morning. The sunrise was really stellar, just the way the clouds were. I mean, it was just like, oh my, you know, a little moment there, right? I mean, I'm looking out in my backyard. It's absolutely beautiful. And just to think that even that beauty is sort of veiled. Even that beauty is downgraded, Right? I mean, it's hard to imagine something more beautiful, but that's what Paul's trying to help us see here, that even creation has sort of a, 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 a desire for more. There's more beauty out there than even what we've experienced. I mean, you think about like, um, I mean, this may be just right down silly, but that's all right. I'm just going to go there. I, like, I have a longing to pet animals that you don't and shouldn't pet, right? <laughs> don't you? Like, when I see a fox, it's like, man, I just want to hug that thing, right? And, you know, like, I really want to experience a bear hug from a bear. Wouldn't that be great? And I don't think those longings are just pie in the sky. I think those longings are actually put in us by God. And there's, there's a harmony that we long to have with the created beings like Adam and Eve did that is not here because of sin. And that's what Paul is saying. It's like even creation itself is, is like protesting against this. And not just creation. The, look what he says here starting in verse 23. He brings it to us. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits. And first fruits just means kind of like a down payment. I guarantee we also do what? Here's our word. We also groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our body. So, so what is Paul saying here? What's he trying to get all out after here? He's talking about this groaning here. Well, I think the theologian John Stott puts this really well. He says this. He says, we're in the current state of affairs, this current state of affairs we find ourselves in. We're half-saved people. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. That we are half-saved people. Meaning, we've received the first fruits of the Spirit. So whenever I put my trust in Christ, whenever I give my life to Jesus, I receive the Spirit of God. He comes and dwells in me. We have received the first fruits of the Spirit. It is in us. And not only that, we have been adopted into God's family. We are a, a child of God. So in that moment, like it isn't evolving, right? It's not like, ah, oh, we get there. No. In that moment, when I... Give my life to Jesus. And I put trust in Him. I 
I speak these words. I want, I want you. I don't want to rule my life anymore. I want you. In that moment, the Spirit of God comes and resides in me, and I am now a part of God's family. And that is true. It is true of us. It's the true state of us. No matter our performance. No matter if I stink the rest of my life, right? It's all grace. It's there. It's mine. It's irrevocable. Nothing can happen to take that away. And at the same time, we eagerly wait for our adoption to be finalized. It's like anytime you do an international adoption, you go through all the legal requirements, and when all that gets done, and I know I'm shrinking this really, really quickly, but when all that gets done, your son or daughter is your child in that moment. But you still got to travel over and get her or get him. In the same way, we are not experiencing in full what it feels like to be a child of God. We're not. And we groan. We long. We protest. We eagerly wait the full redemption of our bodies. Our bodies are not supposed to decay. <laughs> They're not supposed to get old. They're not supposed to get crackly and crinkly. I don't know what else to say there. The two C's, I don't know. And Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's not how God created us. And so we long for that day for our bodies to be as they were meant to be. Fully alive to God and fully alive to all that he's created. So we are half-saved people. And in this state, we groan with honesty about the anguish of life in this fallen world. We, we protest against this. We're not, we're not satisfied. We're not content. We're not okay with the status quo. No, we, we cry out against that. We groan. So as we wait, we just don't sit back and blow up our little inner tube and float down the lazy river. Oh, this is great waiting. No, we cry out against that. This is not how it's supposed to be. I don't know about you guys, but do you ever get to a place where you just get tired of sin and suffering? Do you ever get to a place where you just get tired of your own sin? Not just your own sin, but you look at sin of other people and the damage it's doing with relationships and the damage it's doing in our culture and our society. Don't you just get tired of that? Don't you get tired of your own suffering and pain and difficulty that you deal with day in and day out and you look across our world and we see the suffering? Don't you just get tired of that? Well, whenever you feel that, guess what that is? That's groaning. This is not how it should be. And for us to wait well, we must learn how to look at our world and our lives and lament, protest, groan. This is not how it's supposed to be. And at the same time, groaning is not just like the same thing as complaining. Right? I'm speaking to myself, right? And groaning is not the same thing as grumbling. Our groaning is different. There's a, there's a hope in our groaning that makes it way different than complaining and grumbling. And we see this, if you caught this in verse 22, look what, he, what Paul says here. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together, and he gives an analogy here, with labor pains until now. 
Look, I don't, I don't know this firsthand by experience. I know it firsthand by watching, right? Giving birth, there's a lot of pain, amen? There's a lot of groaning. Can I have one woman say amen to that, right? It is really painful. So sometimes you've got to sit back and say, like, why in the world do we volunteer to do this, right? I mean, even little girls dream of the day when they'll be pregnant. It's like, do you know what you're dreaming, right? <laughs> the reason why we voluntarily put ourselves in this kind of terrible pain is because the hope of a beautiful new life and this hope has a way of putting the pain in perspective, right? And so in the same way, this is the kind of hope that needs to fill our groaning. It's what he's getting after in verses 23 through 24 when he says this. So we also grow within ourselves eagerly waiting for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we are saved. So yes, we groan with honesty about the brokenness in our own lives and the brokenness that we see in this world. But at the same time, we groan in hope of the promises that we have received. And that big, huge, fat promise I'm talking about is that Jesus came in the, in, in, in the first coming that we celebrate today at Christmas time. And because he came then, we know with certainty this is not a, you know, hopeful, wishful thinking. It's a guaranteed story that Jesus is coming back to make all things new. So all of these longings and desires that we have while we're waiting, they will find their fulfillment when he comes back. All things will be made new. That's the hope that we look forward to that informs the groaning and protesting that we feel right now. Does that make sense? I mean, one of our, our core values, and we talked a little bit about this in the fall, and, and the thing about values that I love is, like, you, you want to make sure um, that you're naming values that people feel. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm, if I'm laying out what our values are, and all of us are going, I don't experience that, right? Then it's not a value. I don't, I don't know what it is, but that's not a value. So what you want to do with values is, like, when you lay them out there, it's like everybody's going, oh, yeah, I've experienced it. Now I've got a word for it. And one of those values is, is genuineness, honesty. I mean, one of the things way we say it here is like honesty with, with God, honesty with ourselves, and honesty with one another leads to wholeness. And without any of those three, honesty with God, with ourselves, and with others, you're not going to be the whole person that God has created you to be. And so... We value that here, and it's really encouraging to me when I hear people in a membership class talk about, like, man, one of the things that's so refreshing about your community is that it feels honest. There's, there's a realness here. And that's, like, embedded in me, right? And I, and I don't know if it's through my own experience or whatever it is, but, like, I'm just at a place where I'm just done with plastic Christianity, Right? And what I mean by that is just giving trite, simple answers to the pain and difficulty and hardships that we feel in this world in the midst of all this waiting. Like, I'm just done with, hey, it's really hard, and then we quickly spin. Hey, it's really difficult, but God's got a plan. Hey, it's really, really hard, but, but I know all the things are going to work out for good. You know, like, like I'm, sometimes I'm going, why? Why do we do that? Why? Do, do we really believe 
that, that I'm saved and kept by grace or that I'm saved and kept by the words that I say? That's performance. So, but at the same time, please hear me, because I think this is where, um, like, I'm, I'm concerned. I don't, I don't want to lead our congregation, right, to always just sit in the groaning. Because if I just sit in the groaning, then it does. What happens, it leads to grumbling, it leads to complaining, and then that leads to cynicism. And I feel that in me a lot. And so what I want to continue to do in my own life and what I want to continue to lead us is that, yeah, we're going to be honest about what we see in our lives and in this world. We're going to groan. We're going to protest against, against that. But we're going to do that in hope. We're going to do that in a manner, in a way to know that there's coming a day when he will come back and he will make all things new and all these longings and all these desires will find their place in him. And that is a guaranteed promise, and we can hope in that. So yes, we're going to be honest, we're going to groan, but we're going to do this in hope. So waiting well means we know how to groan with honesty, but we also know how to groan in hope. So that's the first one. The second one is this. And it's just embedded there in the last part of verse 25. We wait patiently. That's easy, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, look what he says here. Verse 24, now in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees, right? That's, that's not hope. If you see it, that's reality, right? Verse 25, now if we hope for what we do not see, which is all of us, we're, we don't see all things new right now. You're not all put together. You're not whole. Your relationships are not what you want them to be. This world is not as it should be. So there's a, there's a hope. We can't see this yet. But we eagerly wait for it with patience. Endurance. Perseverance. I think, the, I think the difficulty within a, a season of waiting, which some of you probably are experiencing like in full, right? Where this, you have these longings and these desires and they're, they're not being met and you're just, you're kind of waiting. I think there's all kinds of temptations. <clears throat> One is we try to go and fix. Right? We take matters in our own hands. Go read Genesis chapter 16 and See how that worked out for Abraham and Sarah when they took matters in their own hands because God promised them a child and it wasn't happening and Sarah had a great idea. Hey, go sleep with that other woman. I don't think that works real well. Amen? <laughs> and it didn't. And we deal with the consequences of that to this day. But I think another thing that we do is that we have a tendency that when we're in this period of waiting, instead of waiting patiently, the temptation is to settle for like a, a counterfeit. That we take these longings and we try to find them met in something that they're never intended and created to meet those longings. Larry Crabb says it like this. 
If we don't discover and realize that our core longing and our core groaning and sighing is for, is for God, then second-place desires become first-place priorities. Did you hear that? Second-place desires become first-place priorities. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think Christmas has a way of awakening you um, <clears throat> to your disappointments like no other time of the year. Like, please hear me. I don't want to be a big downer. I love Christmas, man. I do. I enjoy it. I can get into everything, all the Christmas music. I love it. All the ones that you guys probably hate, I love, all right? So I even like Wham's Last Christmas song. I just, that's Last Christmas. I love that one, man. I, it comes on. I'm turning it up, you know. I love that Dan Folger, Folgerby, whatever. He's that little song, you know what I'm talking about? The, okay, maybe not. You guys are looking at me. So, yeah, there you go. I got a few head shakes, so. Um, but I don't know about you, but it, Christmas does kind of awaken you to like your own disappointments. It, it seems like throughout the rest of the year, when you feel those same disappointments, it's like, ah, that's just life. But then when you come to Christmas and you hear the songs, you see the decor, you, you know, you watch other people and they're all happy and cheerful. And, and, and a lot of the songs are s somewhat cheesy. You know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Holly, jolly Christmas. All these kind of things. Are, so you just feel this festive joy and excitement. And then you look at your life. And you kind of feel miserable. You feel sad. You're kind of disappointed. Things are not what you thought they would be in your life. And sometimes when you, when you process that, you begin to think maybe, I, like, I, like, I don't want to feel this way. Like, I do want to be merry. I do want to be joyful. I don't, like, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing something wrong? And I'm not trying to give you a full answer to that question. That question may take more time to unpack. But I, but I do think Paul would say this to you. No, maybe not. That's what waiting feels like. That's what waiting with patience feels like. Instead of going and grabbing a substitute, instead of going and taking second, you know, place desires and making them now first place priorities, instead of, instead of you, know, you know, settling for a counterfeit, no, wait. 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 With patience. It doesn't mean we go around here moping and sighing and, and blowing a lot and being Eeyore, right? It's not that. It's like you don't want to be the Eeyore of the family. Oh, here comes the Eeyore. Brah, brah. Everything's horrible, you know. Can't believe we're celebrating Christmas. Have you not watched the news? Whatever you know what I'm saying. Like, what? yeah. But what I think Paul is trying to help us see is that it kind of normalizes what I'm experiencing. So I'm experiencing disappointment. I'm experiencing this, this, these desires that are not being met. I'm, I'm, I'm in this season sort of waiting. So it sort of normalizes for us so that I can step in and enjoy the present. I can step in and enjoy the moment and not try to get more out of this moment that this was never created to give me. Are you following me? Instead, I realize that I am created for more, and that more is in a relationship with Jesus that will not be fully experienced until the new heavens and the new earth. So there'll be a little wanting here still, but knowing that here's, 
Here's what's coming, and that more will be fully and completely filled in the new heavens and the new earth, which then gives me the strength and the endurance to wait now and not try to fix and not go after a substitute. I'm going to wait with patience. So we groan in hope and we wait with patience. That's how we step into a season like this of, of waiting. And so I'll end with this. I, I feel like um, I feel like when we're, we're, when we're really pressing into this season of this waiting, um, I think it will eventually lead you to crying out. It'll lead you and press you into you to, to draw near and cry out to God. This is, this is kind of what I think the Lord intends for this waiting period to be, a time for you to sit back and, and, and lament and cry out to Him. I mean, I, I've been sitting in Psalm 130 over these last several kind of weeks and just kind of coming back to this, and that's what happens in the first two verses of Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. That's, that's what waiting will lead us to. And so if that is the case, then, then this is my encouragement for us during this season, how we can kind of put some, um, um, you know, some, some feet to this, you know, this, this waiting and groaning you know, with hope and this waiting patiently. I can put some feet to this. Well, here are three things that we can pray for over the course of the season. Just three. And I'm not going to give a lot of commentary on them. I'm just going to read them. The first one is this. May we ask God to renew how we see with honesty and hope. Renew, God, how I see my current circumstances that feel like you're abandoning me or you feel silent or I don't know where you are. I just, this is hard, God. So renew how I see with honesty in hope. Two, keep me from settling for counterfeits. Help me to wait patiently. And help me to put my hope in your word. Renew, keep, help. Hopefully that'll put some wheels to this waiting as we wait groaning in hope and we wait patiently. I'll end by reading the rest of Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept the record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? No one. That's a rhetorical question. But with you, there is what? forgiveness therefore what you are feared you are worshiped you are adored we're going to adore jesus because with him there is forgiveness i wait for the lord my soul waits in his word i put my hope my soul waits for the lord more than watchmen wait for the morning more than watchmen wait for the morning oh israel or church we're the new Israel. 
Church, put your hope in the Lord for what the Lord is unfailing love. Unfailing love. He's not going to let you down. These longings that you feel right now that are not being met, they will be. It's a promise. Unfailing love. With Him is what? Full, not partial. Full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel. He Himself will redeem God's people. That is you all here from all their sins. God, help us to wait. Let's pray together. So, Father, we just um, come to you asking that your spirit would know how to intercede for us, Lord. And I know there's sometimes longings and desires and hurt and pain that is deep within us that it's hard for us to articulate how to speak and cry out to you. So help us even in this moment, Lord. And Lord, we wait upon you. We trust you, God. In Christ's name, amen. So as we take communion here, we ask those that are followers of Jesus Christ to come forward, break a piece of bread off, dip it in wine or juice, whichever your conscience permits. The wine is always marked by twine. But if you're not a, a Christian, then our encouragement for you is not to take this meal, but that you, would, that you would receive Christ, that you put your faith and trust in him. We always have leaders in the back. They have a little lanyard on that would love to talk to you more about what it means to be a follower of Christ. They're also there to receive any kind of prayers or maybe... The first step for you this morning is to, to voice your longings that are not being met. And we would love to do that with you. They would love to pray with you and pray for you. And so as we are taking communion, you can go back and, and do that with them. So church, whenever you're ready, you can come forward. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church, J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com slash jtown.